everybody and welcome to From the Mezzanine. I'm your host, Lindsay Stone, and let's get into this week's episode. How is everybody doing? Oh my gosh, I am exhausted after this week. It has been a very busy week, a very crazy week, hectic in many more ways than one. I just kind of feel like I did a ton this week. And so today I'm recording this on Saturday. It's the freaking weekend. Thank goodness. Today I chillaxed and it was very much so needed. This week in terms of Broadway fun, as I alerted y'all last week, I was planning on going to see Anne Juliet this week with a dear friend and we went to go and see um, a certain understudy who was in it, Matt Raffi, Raffi, Matt Raffi. They play the understudy for May, which is originally played by Justin David Sullivan, but my friend really is a huge fan of Matt Raffi and wanted to go and see their performance. And it was my very first time to go and see this show of Anne Juliet. I have my playbill right here with me. And um, if you come and see this on TikTok, I got so many people's signatures. Every single person came out of the stage door practically. I can't think of a major role that didn't come out and sign. They all came out and signed. But before we get into all of that, let me tell you guys about what I think about Anne Juliet. So going into it, Y'all heard what I said last week. I was a little skeptical. I just didn't know if it was going to be crazy cheesy. In terms of jukebox musicals, I am so, so loyal to Moulin Rouge that I just felt like if I go see Anne Juliet, like it's their biggest competitor, arguably, on Broadway. And how are they going to do it any better than Moulin Rouge, which already does it perfectly? Which I think was a valid concern. Um, because yes, it is a competitor. They both have very popular songs, but there's a very big difference between these two musicals. At the core, I would say it's in the styling of the shows. Moulin Rouge is, is more mature. It's more serious. Um, and Anne Juliet is incredibly lighthearted and fun and energetic where Moulin Rouge, they both have crazy energy for sure. However, Moulin Rouge does have a lot of heart and soul and there is like a lot of truth behind the story whereas Anne Juliet is literally a good time in my opinion guys there there are things that are going to be moving in Anne Juliet I would say most so is May's story um and them coming into themselves and identifying who they are and like that is very endearing um and heartwarming but it's not a show that's going to change your life by any means. I know some people out there, every show has its big fans, and I know they're going to argue with me, oh, Angela, changed my life. But And I hear you, and I see you, and I, I totally am certain that, okay, thank you, Church Bells. It's 6 o'clock. I never record this early, I guess. Well, enjoy the sights and sounds of New York, everybody. There's a church right across from us, and at 6 o'clock every day, the bells ring and it's the symbol of if I've gotten home on time or not because I'll leave the office typically around five if it's a good day and if I make it home before I hear those church bells then it's a good day and I made it home in good time and the subways didn't trip me up too much. Wow y'all are really just getting an idea and I, I want to tell you guys there was we'll get back to Angelia once the church bells cease but there's a, a drag bar just down the street from us and we can always tell when it is like lit over there because you'll hear the music and they were just playing isn't she lucky that hollywood girl and i'm just thinking about i'm like oh my gosh i bet 
they're having so much fun over there. Low-key, wish I was over there. I might go after I wrap this episode just to go and figure out what's going on because I actually haven't been to the drag bar yet. It's called, well, maybe I shouldn't say what it's called because it's literally around the corner from our place. Okay, church bells have ceased. Let's get back to the subject at hand of Juliet. Okay, so yes, to me, it's not going to change your life. It is a fun musical. If I had some little preteens who wanted to come to Broadway, I would take them to go see this show. It's similar to Six in the fact that it has very relevant, modern dialogue and jokes, and it's it's very current. It's a very current musical. You take this musical and pluck it out and put it into the 20s, nobody's going to know what the heck is going on the entire time because it is so, so modern. And yes, it is cheesy. That was what I was worried about. I was worried like, oh, is it going to be like, funny or is it just going to be like trying too hard and cheesy and there were definitely times where I was laughing so hard Betsy Wolf she's got it she's got that spark she has the humor down she is really really funny I thoroughly enjoyed her performance and I knew that I would she was incredible we did have the understudies for quite a few people we saw this on a Wednesday evening and so we went to go to see the understudy for May's character but we also ended up getting the understudy for Juliet. I really wanted to see Lorna Courtney, but I didn't have anything to compare the understudy's performance to, so I wasn't all that frustrated at it, but I was like, oh, dang, I would have loved to see the original Juliet. But the woman who was in the role of Juliet that night, her name was Rachel Webb, and she was so good. I really thought she was great. And I asked my friend what she thought about their two performances, like who who would she say was better per se or or how do they how do they match up you know and she said that they both have really great things she says you know Lorna's in the in the role every single night and so she's going to have some more like nuance to the character um but other than that they both had like a ton of power behind their vocals um I don't even know like I don't have like a streamlined idea of how I want to talk on this show but the major takeaway that I had was it is insane but I mean that in a good way and it all makes sense because everything about this show is so aligned. Like the design of the set, to the costumes, to the music choice, which is like the biggest part of the show I would say is, is the music choice, to the characters and to the dialogue. Everything in this show is so aligned that it makes it make sense. You're not surprised when they come out in all silver costumes and they are singing in sync. You're not, or everybody, that's Backstreet Boys. You're not surprised when they start singing, oh my God, the biggest like cringe moment for me was when they started singing <laughs> Kesha. They, so what, what was going on in the story? It, we all know the story. It's the story of Romeo and Juliet, but what if Juliet lives and where would the story go then? Juliet leaves Fair Verona and she has her cute little posse together and they're trying to get into this club and they're not being allowed into the club or I guess it's a birthday party and they're not being let in. And so all of a sudden Betsy Wolf, she goes, back door cracked, we don't need a key, you're coming with me. I, I like lost it. I completely lost it. That was the only moment for me when I was like out of body experience, this is... This is insane. 
this show is insane. But it all works. Like, it all makes sense because it knows that it's being farcical. It knows that it's being ridiculous. And so you forgive it for that. And you just kind of have to give in and let yourself have a great time. So anyways, there were definitely moments where I just, like, my my head was in my hands and I was like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this is crazy. But at the end of the day, it was just a fun night on Broadway. We did rush for it. So we paid 50 bucks for our tickets. And so, I mean, it was it was definitely fun. But yeah, it's not going to change your life, but it's it's going to ensure that you have a great, great night of Broadway and it's fun and it's songs that you want so badly to sing along to in your seat. And and it all makes sense. So I think where like some of these other shows go wrong, like Once Upon a One More Time, for example, who are attempting to do this Britney Spears pop thing, those don't all have an alignment between all the elements of their story and their costume and their set. So the way that this show does it, it just makes sense. And I think that's where others fall flat is something about your show isn't aligning and so it's not working out in the end, but this show does have it figured out. It's crazy, it's insane, it's stupid, and it's Anne Juliet. So yeah, I, I, there was a couple other major standouts that I have to tell you about. I have a new Broadway boyfriend unlocked in the guy who played Frankie Du Boy. I don't even know like what happens to me when I'm seeing these shows, but all of a sudden I fall in love like completely like with the, with the cutie pie on stage. And I'm like, that's my man's like, that is him. Like I am now in love with Frankie Du Boy. And he was played by Felipe Arroyo, I want to say. Let me look at my playbill real quick. Felipe Arroyo. I hope I said that right. I followed him on Instagram. Felipe, if you see this, let me know if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. He was awesome. It was funny at the stage door. He was really trying to make a run for it because he was like the first one who came out. And I was like, hi! And I got like so excited. And he like, you could tell he was like, oh, damn it, I've been spotted. And he like went back and got a Sharpie and came and signed all of our playbills. I was like, I gotta get a signature. He's my new Broadway boyfriend, my new crush. I'm obsessed. Um, but yeah, this was a fun show. I'm glad that I finally saw it because I have really wanted to for a long time and it hasn't made sense as to why I hadn't gone and seen this show. Um, but it, it's definitely a modern show in every sense of the word. The set is primarily projections, but there's a lot that they do to surprise you and to make it really interesting. I, I would love to know how much their set cost because it was really high budget um, and worth it, I would say. There was a lot of like wow moments. Um, the costumes were totally giving Disney Channel at some points. Like we had a an undershirt on top of a vest, on top of like pants on top of a skirt like some costuming choices were so cute like I loved you could tell they were going like 90s inspo uh, especially with Juliet's costumes those were definitely the best costumes but as far as like the ensemble I was like really you're putting them in biker shorts and a skirt over that that's a choice that's a choice I mean y'all know what I mean when I say that it's like giving Disney Channel. It's giving Lizzie McGuire like layers on layers, honey. And so some of the costumes were questionable. Some were all pretty cute. Um, and let's see, song choice. I definitely liked the song choice because it was just, it was the, what they did is they framed 
the show around the songs. The songs fit in so perfectly, and it's all songs that are written by Max Martin. And so he has so many popular songs that they had their pick of the litter. Like, if they were steering the show in a certain direction, they would have one of his songs to plug into it, and it make perfect sense. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an experience. I can see why it is a relatively popular show on Broadway. It's quite a spectacle. It's definitely something that I feel like appeals to, um, the tourist crowd. And I think if they went and saw it, they would be like, I don't know what they would think. I don't know if they would think that's Broadway because it's like very modern and not classical whatsoever. Or they might really enjoy, like, the, the effects and, and the wow factor of it all. Because it definitely does have a, fac a wow factor. But I, I don't think that I could bring anybody to go and see this show with me. I really was thinking, I was like, is there anybody that I think would enjoy this show in my life? And, and well, what I mean by that is, like, would rather see Anne Juliet over another show on Broadway. And I just don't think so. It's really, really silly. But it's fun. Um, but I am definitely glad that I went and, and saw it finally, because it's always just been something that I'm like, oh yeah, I think I'd like it. Why haven't you seen it? Oh, you know, so that's that on that. We have some more things to look forward to next week because, and by next week, I mean on next week's podcast, because tomorrow is the Broadway flea market and I cannot wait to go for the first time. We talked about it a lot last week and I gave you all the lowdown, but at the point that this podcast is going to come out, it will have already been in the past, but I will catch you all up on all of the things that I bought. Hopefully I'll find some really good things. Um, and I'm so excited and I'll get to see like Titus Burgess, Danny Bernstein, who else might be there? I don't know. Like it'll be a surprise. I think it's going to be really busy. I might have to like shove some elbows to get to the Lin-Manuel signatures, but I am willing to do that for my king. I will do whatever it takes to get Lin's signature. So yeah, I will catch you guys up next week on the Broadway flea market. I can't wait. Eee, I'm manifesting for next week's Lindsay to have gotten Lin-Manuel's signature. Manifesting it right here. And right now, is there anything else I want to talk to you guys about? I don't think so. Let's head on in to our Broadway grosses. Here are the Broadway grosses for the week ending in September 24th. I'm very excited about this because this is going to be the first full week that will account for all of Gutenberg's performances. So we will finally get a first look at how it is doing in the grosses. Number one, folks, is Lion King. Moving on. Number two is Hamilton. Josh Groban must be back, folks, because Sweeney Todd is back at number three. What a big jump. To refresh you, it was in the mid to lower bottom of the musicals last week. It was not in a good place because Josh Groban was living it up, hopefully not cutting people's throats, and he was on vacation. And now he is back, evidently, because here it is at number three. MJ, the musical, is number four. Dang, that's actually kind of high for them. Wicked is five. Whoa. We have a newbie. Merrily We Roll Along is number six. And get this, they only had six performances. So, whereas Wicked grossed $1.3 million last week with eight performances. Merrily We Roll Along had six performances and grossed just about the same, $1.3 million. Holy cannoli. 
Oh my god, and to add even more surprise, Wicked, their capacity is about like between 13 and 12,000 in their theater for like the full week. Merrily We Roll Along, yeah, it's at like just under 6,000. So Wicked is almost in a double the size theater as Merrily, but Merrily grossed equal amounts with less performances. Please tell me that that made sense through this podcast, but holy cow that is really crazy they are going to be number one once they have an eight show week if they have an eight show week i don't know if they're only doing six performances a week but i'm guessing this is just because this is the first time that they've been open for a full week that's amazing that is amazing shall we move on so right after merrily we roll along wow is aladdin at seven moulin rouge is at eight Back to the Future is at nine. Thank God, I'm so glad that Moulin Rouge is not getting pushed down too far with all of these newbies coming in. Yay, yay, yay. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is nine and Anne Juliet is 10. So, Gutenberg was not in the top 10. Unfortunately, it looks like they are at one, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. That's not bad. They're in a smaller theater for sure. Um, crap, guys, I'm starting to get really scared about Shucked. Let's just go through. So number 10 was Anne Juliet. 11 is Book of Mormon. So they're still doing really well somehow. And then it's a beautiful noise. I don't know why it's doing so well. Well, it's not. The capacity is 68%. This doesn't make any sense. I'm so lost. Next is six. And then it's Gutenberg. And then it's Some Like It Hot, which we will talk about. Don't you worry. And then it's Chicago. And then it's Shucked. When Shucked announces that it is going away, that it is closing, I will be at that theater every single night, holding on to hope. I love that show, and it deserves to stay on for so long. So then below Shocked is Here Lies Love, and then Hades Town, which they just had a huge recasting of Betty Who, and it doesn't appear that it is having any, any influx on their grosses. And then it's Kimberly Kimbo, and then The Cottage, and then, you know, we're just getting into play territory, which isn't exactly fair to compare to musicals, because they're in much smaller theaters. Um, but any hiddle hoodle, folks, what a freaking week in Broadway grosses. I cannot believe Merrily is so high with only six performances and a tiny theater. This is amazing. They're going to be at the top of the grosses. And I, I can't say that I'm surprised. Like, do y'all remember when Sarah Jessica Parker and Michael, what's her husband's name? Um, Matthew Broderick. But of course, do y'all remember when they had their show on Broadway? It was a play and it was at the top of the grosses every single week because of the cast, because it, obviously people would pay any amount of money to go and see these two, especially in a two-person play. And so the same thing's kind of happening with Merrily. It is Daniel Radcliffe and Jonathan Groff. Lindsay Mendez, of course, is a star to us, but she's not a huge star. And I'm really glad that they kept her on. It would have been so crappy for them to replace her. I don't know if Jonathan Groff has like a huge appeal. I'm obviously a Broadway mind, and so I'm obsessed with him. But I don't know if like the common folk know of his amazingness. So it might just be J Daniel Radcliffe who's like bringing in everybody, which obviously he's going to do that. He's a humongous name. Anyways, what a freaking week in Broadway grosses. Let's just keep our fingers crossed that our favorite shows, our shucks of the world, are not in 
bad territory and hopefully they can hold on. I'm holding out hope. I love you, Shucks. Please don't leave me. Please, 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 please. And speaking about shows that were in a bad place and bad territory, possibly closing soon, let's dive into our first news story of the week. We got word this week that Some Like It Hot is closing. Some did not like it hot, I suppose you could say. And when this news came, honestly, I wasn't that surprised. One of you guys messaged me on Instagram and was like, you literally were just talking about the fact that they weren't doing well and now they're closing. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's what happens. It does raise my eyebrows for a few reasons. One being that Jay Harrison Gee, of course, stepped away from the role saying that they were going to come back after, I believe they gave like a six week period of time that they were stepping away, um, which totally fine, respect that. But I wonder if they are going to come back before the show is officially closed. It would be really sad for them to have left the role that they originated, that they won the Tony for, and not get to do it one last time. I really hope that Jay Harrison is able to come back. So let's talk about the facts of the matter real quick. So Some Like It Hot will be playing their final performance on December 30th. At its closing, it will have played 483 performances. That's a good amount. I'm not going to lie. I don't believe they have recouped their investments. And so Some Like It Hot will go down as a flop. However, they did announce that they are already planning on doing a national tour and opening a show on the West End. I think that this show is primed for a national tour. One, it's a popular name that was made popular by a movie. And honestly, let's be real, the season ticket holders have some gray hairs and they're probably going to know what some like it hot is I didn't know what the movie was because it was like the Marilyn Monroe old Hollywood sort of era and so yeah I wasn't privy to some like it hot but I bet it'll do well on national tours because majority of the season ticket holders that go and see the shows on national tours are going to know what it is um plus I just feel like I do feel like it is going to do well on a national tour these shows don't have to be prime Broadway Um, and I only say that because I have seen a lot of these shows that go on a national tour and some of them I really question how the heck this even had a run on Broadway. Cough cough pretty woman. If you've been listening to this podcast for long enough you know that that was the worst show that I've ever seen um and (laughs) and it seemed like the audience was really enjoying it and I was like are y'all for real like this is not it um but it it did well on the national tour because it's an identifiable name um a common story easy to follow and I do think that you can't compare Pretty Woman and Some Like It Hot I do believe that Some Like It Hot is far above that musical But at the same time, it's not my favorite musical by any stretch. It's a fine show, um, but it's not something that is going to wow you beyond belief. But I do believe that it will do well on its national tour and hopefully make a little bit more money 
So these producers, not that I'm like hoping the producers make all their money. I mean, they're probably fine without it. That's why they put the money in in the first place. But anyways, I don't ever want a show to fail. And so I do think that it will do well in a national tour. Who's to say if it'll do well in the West End? Like we say time and time again, things that flop on Broadway do great over there. Things that do great over there flop on Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So there is a chance that if it opens over there, it will do great. But it is such an American story. Um, They start in Chicago and they go to California. It is a very American story and prohibition. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if the story will translate over there. Who's to say? A lot of times when these shows announce that they're closing on Broadway, they just say, oh, a national tour is in the works and we're planning on going to the West End. I feel like they just say it because it makes them not feel like such a failure because they're like, oh, but we have other works in the mix. So, you know, I don't know. I just feel like they say that just to say that and not not damage their egos too much. But what do I know? Maybe maybe it very well is going to do all of these things, but I'm just saying we've seen a number of shows that flop so poorly on Broadway and say, oh, but don't worry, we're going on a tour. And everybody's like, huh? Who do you think wants to see that if you just flopped on Broadway? And what I really, what this really reminds me of is like Paradise Square. Well, that had a much shorter run, even though it was amazing and we all loved it. They said, don't worry, cast album's coming out. We're going to the West End. We're going on a national tour. And it really doesn't make any sense. It really is like, okay, so in the city where if you can make it there, you'll make it anywhere. It's off to you, New York, New York. But if you couldn't make it here, you won't make it anywhere. So why try? But whatever. There's a reason I'm not a Broadway producer. I feel like that was such a tangent. Um, But let's just reflect on some Like It Hot's run. So they were nominated for a lot of Tonys. I think a lot of people really thought that it was going to sweep the Tony Awards. And it, it did okay. It took home four Tonys. Um, It took home the Tony for Best Choreography, Best Orchestrations, Best Costumes, and of course, J. Harrison Gee for Best Lead Actor in a Musical, which um, I I never got to see J. Harrison's performance. I wish I would have, but their understudy was in whenever I went and saw it. But they did do well for themselves at the Tony Awards. They just haven't held up in terms of filling seats. When I went and saw the show, there were a lot of seats that were empty. And so this really is not a surprise. Not a surprise whatsoever, but it is unfortunate nevertheless. I know a lot of people did really enjoy this show, and it did have a lot of positive parts to it, I will say. The story was was very good. I would even say that I I liked Some Like It Hot more than Angelia, I would say. I, I really did. Parts of the story were really good. I don't mean to bash it and and all of this, but it, it was good. Christian Borle, he was in it, and I think they expected him to bring in a lot more people than he did, and he was honestly fine. Like, he wasn't the outstander to me whatsoever. Um, it, it was it, it was a troubled story. There were some aspects of this story itself that, you know, you kind of question and, and don't feel like they hold up anymore, um, and I think that really really hurt them because a lot of people were offended by the fact that um, they are addressing non-binary and trans people and maybe they feel like they're not doing it properly. I did see a lot of pushback from that standpoint. 
Um, I did see some fault in the story as well. And a lot of the comedy honestly did not hold up. They were trying to make jokes left and right, and I was not laughing. Other people were in the audience, and I was like, this is not com Like, I just did not find the show very funny. Some of the songs were fine, but it wasn't, it wasn't incredible. It wasn't, it wasn't anything that is going to change your life. And so I'm not surprised that it's closing. I'm sad for the cast and the crew, of course. I know that is so hard. I would say the ensemble was excellent in this show. Really, really fun. The choreography was so good. I'm sure they go home exhausted every night. But yeah, I guess that's all there really is to say about Some Like It Hot's closing. I don't think that it was going to hold up. It, it Maybe it came too soon. Did it have an off-Broadway tryout? I'm not sure that it did. And y'all know how I feel about that. If you don't have an off-Broadway tryout, what are you doing? You're just going to go and, be, and roll the dice on Broadway. Hopefully it sticks. Like, you can't count on that. So anyways, not surprised that it's closing, but... Good job to the cast and crew. This was a really good show uh, at the end of the day. It had some issues, of course. Nothing is ever going... Well, yes, actually, things can be perfect. There are things out there like Wicked. Is Wicked at, at all controversial? <laughs> I might be asking such a loaded question. Y'all might be screaming at me because maybe there is something in it that's controversial. But I don't feel like there is. And so with that, we bid farewell to Some Like It Hot. If you're interested in going and seeing this show... It will be playing its final performance on December 30th. So I'm actually very glad that they've given us some time to actually go and see it because if this was announced and I hadn't seen it yet, I would have been one of the people running to the theater to go and see it before it went. I did really want to see the show. And uh, I feel like lately all of these shows are announcing their closing, giving us a week, maybe two, to go and see it. So I really appreciate the fact that they are giving us three months. They're giving us three months to go and see it. That's amazing. And I feel like that's a very thoughtful thing to do because now people are going to go run to the show to go and see it. Um, and so they will end up making more money. Like things like New York, New York gave us one week. So anybody who wanted to go run to the theater to see the show did not have time to do so. So anyways, thank you some like it hot for actually giving your fans and the people that love your show time to go and see it again before it closes. And we bid you farewell. Moving on to our next news story, it is something that I am so genuinely excited for. We finally found out who our Sir Lancelot is going to be for Spamalot, and it is none other than SNL alum, comedian, stuck in the suburbs, our, our nostalgic king from our childhood, Taron Killam. This guy, I'm certain you know him. You might not know his name. I love this man. And I had never even known that his name was Taron Killam. So if you don't know who I'm talking about, do a quick Google search. And I'm certain, I'm certain you'll know him from something. He is so funny. And we were all waiting because they were withholding who our Sir Lancelot was going to be. They knew it was a big announcement and they were not going to tell us. So this was huge. This was huge that we finally figured this out this week. And they did not let us down. I am so excited to go and see this show. But don't get too hyped. Because he is only going to be in the show for a very, very small, small, tiny, little, minuscule engagement. He will only be playing the role from when it opens. Well, it opens on November 16th, but the previews begin October 31st. So he will start the role October 31st and play until very early in the year. J January 9th, he will be off. So you have basically November, December to go and see him. 
and then he's going to be gone. So if you want to go see him in the role, you've got to plan for it now. This, I thought, I was like, Taryn, I don't think he's ever been on Broadway. No, I, I was completely mistaken. He has been on Broadway before. This is by no means his Broadway debut. He was previously King George in Hamilton. How did I miss that? I have no clue. That would have been so good. I'm going to have to find some video on YouTube of him as King George in Hamilton. A slime tutorial, if you will. And then he was also the dentist in Little Shop of Horrors. So he has been around the block in terms of Broadway. And uh, we are so happy to have him in Spamalot. He's going to bring so much humor to the role. And I just, I'm so happy that we have like an SNL star. I love SNL. I don't know about you guys, but... I grew up on SNL, especially his era of SNL, and so I, I'm so hyped for this. I, got, I couldn't even pick a better person for them to put in this role. So like I said, guys, this show is beginning previews October 31st, Halloween night with a K, night, like the knights who say knee, that's what they have on their marquee. Shout out, I went and saw all the marquees, the videos on my TikTok from the Mezzanine podcast, um, but I loved what Spamalot was doing with their marquee. They were having so much fun with it. I just want to go, I want to, I bet there's so many more little hidden gems that I didn't even pick up on. But anyways, he will be beginning the role when the show begins previews, October 31st. And like I said, he is going to be finishing his run. I guess it's actually not January 9th. It'll be right before that because Alex Brightman is taking his place and Alex Brightman is starting on January 9th. Um, and Alex Brightman was in this role on the Kennedy Center run and so he's already familiar with it. Everybody loves Alex Brightman. This is still a great casting. Um, I feel like it's kind of sad that Alex isn't going to be able to originate the role on Broadway and we just kind of gave it to a stunt casting. But at the same time, like, gotta do what you gotta do. It's a business. Alex and and you're gonna be on the sh in the show for longer so so it's all good right and plus people are gonna hold off seeing it with him seeing it with Taryn because they want to see it with Alex like Broadway folks love Alex Brightman and I would I would like to see it with Alex too that would be awesome Alex Brightman is currently in The Shark is Broken which I think is closing relatively soon that might have something to do with the fact that he couldn't start this show when it opens and he needed to come on a little bit later Who's to say? I'm not sure, but Taryn Killam, we are so excited to see you as Sir Lancelot on Broadway in Spamalot. Eek! I'm so happy. I love this casting. When I saw it, I was shook, and I'm so happy about it. I'm so excited. Definitely going to be one that I am going to go see, for sure. Hopefully in previews, because I love a good preview. And our last news story for this week, we got word that, guys, there is a stage adaptation of Burlesque headed to the West End. Where has this been? Why hasn't this happened already? Why is it the West End and not Broadway, huh? Come on, bring it over here. I'm sure it will. But this is crazy. I'm a little nervous because y'all know Burlesque. It is a show that is about, well, it starred Christine Aguilera and it also starred Cher and she wanted to be a, she was a small town girl wanting to be a burlesque dancer. And by the end of the movie, of course, she's like the best burlesque dancer in the world <laughs> or whatever. But it's a very, very strong movie. It's a good movie. It is a, such a blockbuster hit. It is so good. And um, it's kind of surprising to me that it hasn't happened before because it had original songs and they were amazing and so I'm surprised that it hasn't tried to come to the stage yet or maybe it did and I didn't know about it but 
This is very exciting and it is confirmed to be happening. The director, Steve Anton, who also was the director of the film, released a statement this week that said, quote, yes, the stage musical adaptation is happening. Very excited. So that's all we needed to know. It is happening. And the cherry on top is that Christina Aguilera is a part of it. She is a producer for the show. So that is something we are going to really be watching. That is literally all I know. And then one more thing. They also said that they are going to be bringing some of the original songs from the movie Motion Picture, but they are also going to be adding more songs. And they said that Todrick Hall is helping out with some of the songwriting. That's really interesting to me. So we will be watching this closely. I'm really curious if Cher is going to be involved. Will it come to Broadway? Who's to say? These are definitely the very early days for this show. Um, but I can't wait to hear more about it. It makes me a little nervous because I know if Burlesque came to Broadway, it would be a huge competition for Moulin Rouge. And I don't like that. Literally, so many people, when I tell them, like, Moulin Rouge is my favorite show, they always think I'm talking about Burlesque. Always. They're like, oh, yeah, with Christina Aguilera. I'm like, no. Very different. Our sister... Sorry, Aubrey. Shout out. <laughs> Our sister, when we went and saw Moulin Rouge, I think she thought that it was burlesque. She Or she kept calling it burlesque. Oh, we're going to go see burlesque. Like, no, honey, it's Moulin Rouge. Like, these two shows are actually very, very similar. They're very different, but they are kind of similar. And so I'm a little, I'm a little scared, but who's to say, maybe it won't come to Broadway at all, but I would like it to because it sounds really good, but I'll keep y'all up to date on the stage adaptation for burlesque because I am very intrigued by this story. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of From the Mezzanine. If you enjoyed it, please leave me a five-star review wherever you are listening today, as well as share it with a musical theater-loving friend. Don't you think they'd enjoy it just as much as you do? I do. I do. Y'all can also find me on social media, on Instagram and TikTok. My social links are in the show notes below, so please find me there or by simply typing in From the Mezzanine on Instagram and TikTok. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you again next Tuesday. Bye!